You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast uh, on this Wednesday morning slash breakfast club. I've got a half-eaten bowl of Weetabix in front of me, which I'm going to finish on mute in a second when Matt's speaking. Uh, my name is Dan Rowitz and I'm joined by Matt Kendrick in, the, in that snazzy jacket from, what is that, 95, 96, something like that? I think it probably is. Should be the the, the um, people in the comments will be able to tell us better. I think it's ninety five. Is that Muller as well? Is that the same it's got time? a Muller. Yeah, it's got Muller branding across the back, which I could actually do with the Muller yogurt now because I've not had I've not had any breakfast. Um, <laughs> how many wheat bits do you have? I've had two this morning. I do have three sometimes. I'm supposed to be on Slimming World, aren't I? So I, I I'm a wheat bix man at the moment. I have two, but it doesn't do seem have, enough. Do you have sugar? No. Well, welcome to the podcast. Like I said, it, will, it is breakfast club, basically. It's been a weird 24 hours for me. I've been all over the place and uh, slept at my mum and dad's last night. So I feel like I've not had a great night's sleep either. So I'm, I'm a little bit all over the place. I've got a handful of kind of topics in front of me, but it, this could go a little bit anywhere. Kind of give me your sum- summary of the game first in kind of at least 60 seconds so I can finish this last week. Mix. I thought Villa's intensity was good. I thought Villa Park was really, really up for it. I thought Gerard had got his team really, really up for it, to the extent that I actually dared to believe that we were going to get a point and, and possibly more. Um, the early goal was was obviously a massive boost. And I think if we could have just held them off a little bit longer and, and invited more, you know, cranked up the pressure on them, I think we could have gone on and got something more out of it. Um, but it followed a, followed, followed a familiar script, didn't it? You know, the, 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 the longer the game, game went on and the more wasteful we were, you know, that they're fighting on four fronts because they're they're not wasteful like that. They're they're a lot more clinical. And eventually it came. Um it's so 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 frustrating because you know we we did have the better of the chances. We'll touch on this later. Danny Hing, Danny Hings should have had a hat trick potentially. Um you know <laughs> we're gonna touch on John Moss as well in, in more detail later. I don't think John Moss cost us a bit of the game if I'm being honest. Um I think Liverpool probably would have gone and won it anyway, even if they've only had 11 players. Um, but yeah, it was just a really, really frustrating game in the sense that, you know, I think we deserved something from the match. Um, the, the the plus for me, and it, it's the challenge for the last two home games and going into next season, is that atmosphere. I just thought it was banging. Uh, and I love being under Villa Park, Villa Park under the footlights like that when it's when it's rocking. Um, so yeah, really, really frustrating, um, but lots of lots of encouraging signs, and um, yeah, a little bit of hope for the, the final three games of the season. I actually quite enjoyed last night, which is weird, really, because I, I never liked Villa losing games. Obviously, like you said, the atmosphere was good. Going ahead early was good. Um, if you do hold on to that for slightly more than three minutes, I think it does maybe change things up a little bit. But there's plenty of kind of encouraging signs, wasn't there throughout? I think as much as. You know, you, you've lost the game to, to one of the best in the league. We've given them a, a good game and it could be one of those ones that you turn out to Villa Park and you're 3-0, 3-0 down after 20 minutes or something. So I'm just, I don't know, it's just I'm glad that that didn't happen. But it felt like a pretty decent performance, I thought. Yeah, I think, you know, we're all forever going to um, regret not being inside the stadium for that 7-2, yeah. aren't we? And I think it got a little bit of a, the hallmarks of when we played them at Villa Park a couple of years ago and we scored early on. I know they left their comeback very late that day, but we produced a really, really battling performance and, and lost 2-1. And that man, Mane, scored again. Um, I mean, I'd be interested to, to look at the stats. Stats fans, I mean, obviously we've not done our prep, but 
Has he ever played against Villa and not scored? You know, obviously got that trick for Southampton, didn't they? Um, yeah, he's the kind of scour- the scourge of Villa. I saw Robbie Fowler um, doing some media work down by the tunnel, um, mm. you know, during the course of the game. And he was the same, you know, these many a hand gesture of fired in his direction um, during during my younger days. He used to score every time he played against us. And I think Marnay's taken over that that mantle from him. Um, but yeah, there was there was there were plenty of positives for Villa. You know, the big thing is, you know, Gerard and his team can get up, get up for games like that and mm. probably produced as close to a consistent 90-minute performance as we've seen um, for the most part under Gerard. If they can do that against, you know, one of the best teams in the world, how 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 does he conjure that up? You know, with respect to Crystal Palace at yeah. the weekend and Burnley and some of the lesser lights in the, in the division, because when Villa can play at that intensity, if they can match match a side that's going for the quadruple for most of the most of the game with that intensity, think what they could do against lesser sides. So that's the real conundrum for me. Yeah, it's frustrating, isn't it? And that's probably part of being a mid-table side. And I think Gerald has called us streaky a few times that we kind of win a couple, then lose a couple, win a couple, lose five in a row, win a couple. Um, and if you kind of cut that out and, and can shore yourselves up a little bit, you think if we can do that against Liverpool, and I know we've not we've not got any points out of it, but you kind of think well, we should be able to beat Palace and Burnley then. I know it doesn't work like that, that you kind of play well against a good side, so you come up against somebody lesser. But if the atmosphere is as good as it was yesterday against Palace, and you, you, I mean, it does help if the game goes your way as well. If you do score early against Palace on Saturday, I think you win that game. And then Burnley is, a, again, a bit of a, a bit of a banana skin after you know, what they're like. But we only beat them 3-1 like five days ago, whatever it was. So you think if you do that against Liverpool, those two should be fairly straightforward. So why can't it be like that? Just intensity, isn't it? It's it, it's intensity and intent. If, if Villa come out and want to want to take the game to the opposition, which it's a it's an age old cliche, but the onus is on them to do it at, at Villa Park, regardless of the the opponents. Um, then that sets the tone. That that lifts the crowd. Mm. The crowd feed off. You know, it's <laughs> it's easy to say. It's harder to achieve. But if Villa. And with the energy and the pace that they should have in parts of that team, they just need. They just need. It's just a relentlessness, really. Mm. And we've seen too many kind of half-hearted performances. Whether it's been you know intensity for forty-five minutes and not the second forty-five, or or vice versa, um, or just you know when Villa are trying to kind of build momentum, just sloppy errors. That, that, that changes ch- changes the momentum of the game. These are the things that that Gerard needs to address. And the big question for him over the over the summer months is whether he addresses that with a better quality of players, which I think will be half of the battle, but also how he addresses that with the remaining players who have been built who have been brought in to consolidate with Aston Villa to get Villa halfway up the the Premier League. Does he see enough? In enough of those, you know, that winning mentality, that 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 relentlessness, um, to, to to coach that level all the time. Mm. Um, I just think he, he, we, we went through a run of of of, of losing games. You know, we, it's followed a familiar theme, hasn't it? We've won, we've we've put several wins together, we've put several defeats together. We've now come out of you know that that losing run with you know we beat Norwich, we beat Burnley. Um, Lost memory. Who did we get a point against? We drew to Leicester. No, no. We we drew to Leicester, 
I think you can put that one against Liverpool down as a blip. Let's mm. finish. Let's finish this season with a real statement of intent now, uh, and get us all kind of paying happily for our season tickets. And, you know, refreshing teletext every day <laughs> to see who we sign in over the summer and phoning club call. So I'm still feeling a bit retro, mate. That's why I'm going through back to these former references. Um, you'd like you'd like to think now that there's nothing to suggest that Villa don't get six points in the in the last two home games and give Man City a right good go on the last day. Whether that means that we that we lose or we get battered or whatever, you at least give them a game. And I think it was after the Arsenal game, I think we spoke and we just said like we kind of sat sat off them and let them play and let them dictate it. Don't want to see that against anybody. And I felt like that's what that's what it could have been like with Liverpool last night that we kind of give them way too much respect and and let them do their own thing. I want us to see and go and play without fear against anybody. So there's nothing in my mind to suggest that we don't end the season with at least six points from those last three. Well, now's the time to go and play without fear, really, oh, yeah. because there's not a great deal resting on it. You know, Villa can still have an impact at both ends of the table while we sit comfortably in, in mid-table. Uh, I managed to blag myself a ticket for Man City away, um, and oh. it's my first my first away game, because I'm a fair-weather fan. It's my first uh, away game since, I think, um, Bristol City. Um, under Bruce a few wow. years ago on a Friday night. So I'm hoping Villa can finish with a with a proper flourish, to be honest. Um, nine points from nine would be nice. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. There's a comment from Matt Smith who says, Marno's got nine goals in 10 appearances versus Villa. And we've not done any fact-checking. So I don't know whether that's true or not, but let's just assume Sounds it about is. Right, because, it? Yes, yeah, like you say, it sounds right. Um, before we get into the Villa side of things, let's just get the John Moss stuff out of the way. Because... It's the elephant in the room, isn't it? And quite literally, with the size of him. Oh, that's offensive. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. I've got. I shouldn't no, be talking no, about this podcast. No, I mean, look, look at me. Um, but he doesn't look fit enough to be a referee, does he? I know the chant is you're not fit to referee, but literally, he isn't. He doesn't look anywhere near the pace of the play. He's 51. He's nowhere near it. And that, like you said earlier, that hasn't cost us the game. But Christ, he is poor. Yeah, I mean, I think I said last night, it's like um, giving your, your nan a virtual reality headset. Um, that, that, that's, yeah. that's what I likened it to. It's, listen, we know he's retiring. Um, we know Thank he's on God. the way. Probably, um, you know, probably got a few more seasons out of him than, than, than really should have, been, should have been appropriate, you know, given the, the, the pace and intensity of the, the Premier League. I just thought, you know, I thought he was bad all round. Most of the decisions went against Villa and, and, and favoured Liverpool. I don't think there's any kind of bias in there whatsoever, despite, you know, tongue-in-cheek comment earlier about Liverpool having 12 players or whatever. I don't don't, don't think there's big club bias in there. I just think it's, it, it's... That always happens, though. It always feels like anyone that we play, if it's Man United, Liverpool, Man City, whatever, we'll get these easy decisions where they can just give us a quick free kick in our own half where it's meaningless. And at the other end, we get nothing. And everything goes Liverpool's way, and all those little ones like you said there about uh, giving your nan a VR headset. And I replied to your tweet saying, you know, at least if she guessed every decision, she might guess Villa sometimes. The things go out for throwing, and you can just look at it, and they don't know which way to give it. And they just go, oh, I'll just give it Liverpool. Or I we'll think just one of them just gave a throwing in the first half because he pointed, <laughs> and the referee and the lino were, were delaying making a decision, and they just went with him. Um, I think the, the the frustrating thing about it was that it was a game where I'm not saying that, that John Moss should 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 run the game in Villa's favour either, but no, it's a game where 
Villa needed to kind of build that pressure and build that momentum and almost kind of, you know, swarm forward in waves. And some of the niggly, stupid free kicks that were given took Villa's momentum away. Um, mm. And yet, I mean, there was one, I think it was, um, was it when Coutinho got done? You know, midway inside there, their half towards the 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 Witten stand. And um he kind of waved an advantage where the and advantage was that whoever had got possession, whoever had got the ball for us, had been swarmed on by about six Liverpool players. You're thinking, well, what mm. kind of what kind of advantage is that? And you know, some of the times he was happy to kind of let let some of the time wasting go because you almost thought it was going to get him a breather. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just think that the the Premier League, you know, we can all, all all believe the hype of the Premier League and best league in the world and all this kind of thing. But I think it it owes itself a better standard than mm. that, really. Yeah, uh, and I don't think it was just just Villa fans having a whinge, which you know we're inclined to do. You know, from some of the the things I've seen from neutrals who were watching the game on the telly, they were scratching their heads, thinking. What has he seen there? What yeah. has he seen? Um, so, yeah, Villa Park made, made his feelings known towards him. I'm not sure he'd have even noticed the chance and the booze, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, good luck with your retirement, Mr Moss. I was a big fan of stand-up if you hate John Moss. That was quite a, a good one. I don't think I've seen that at Villa Park before. Um, Joanne Spears says it's sport, the atmosphere and the flow of the game. I agree with half of that. It spoiled the flow of the game. I think things like that help the atmosphere. We've said a few yeah, times well, like, with, the, with the Schmeichel thing at Leicester, it kind of galvanises us all to yeah. feel like we've, we've been wronged and we want to kind of, yeah. you know, it's us against you kind of thing. I think it helps the atmosphere, stuff like that, because it gives you something to at least get going about. Yeah, um, I agree. The, the atmosphere was good generally, though, especially, especially after the first goal and Liverpool scored and, and they break into Liverpool or some dull chant that they, and we outsang them, I think. And I thought, yeah, like, even that, we've just conceded and we're still, we're still going for it and, it felt good all night, but I agree. I think when those things happen and you feel like you've had a bit of injustice, it, it brings everyone together, I think. Yeah, it's good, good to have a, a common em- common enemy. <laughs> yeah. The opposition are normally the common enemy, but um, yeah, and a kind of villain of the piece, if you like. Um, I thought Liverpool fans were really, really nervous and panicky. Mm. You know, I didn't think they were that, that, they were that great. Uh, obviously, you know, when they scored the second goal, they, they they burst into life, didn't they? And made made a bit of a racket then. But I thought you could you could sense sense the nerves amongst them, um, and they were a bit flat. But again, when they did try and strike up a chant, you know, all four stands of Villa Park, you know, found their voice, didn't they? And tried to kind yeah, of shout them down, basically. There's a comment here from Jake Denver, which takes us into our next talking point perfectly. He says, can you discuss Dougie in the number eight? But he played really well in a more natural position. Um, so we'll kind of weave into this with, with team news. Obviously, Nakamba comes in for his first start since Anfield, I think it was, uh, in, in holding midfield. Douglas Louise playing a bit further forward with McGinn um, and Coutinho in for Buendia, which we'll talk about that separately, I suppose. Let's start with Louise then, as, uh, as Jake asked. A game of not two halves quite, but two positions. I thought he was very good at, in number eight, bursting forward. Obviously, he's furthest forward for, for the goal in the first three minutes. Uh, there was another chance, I think, after after Liverpool equalised, where he was found himself in the box. I don't think it came to him, but I thought, what's Douglas Louise doing that far, far forward? Um, 
and he was on the ball. I, I thought he kind of didn't dictate play, so to speak, but was involved with stuff and, and looked looked much better. And then the change for Nakambu, who Joe said he gave everything, and I, I expected wouldn't play the full ninety, but I'm not sure the decision to to bring Chukwuemeka on was was quite right because Douglas Luiz has then got to go back and fill in at holding midfield. And I think it was Michael Beale said, Dougie, sit back or, or sit in or something like that. And he kind of looked at him and went, and I almost like put his head down as if to think, I don't want to do that. I don't fancy that. And I kind of thought his game was totally different then. He went to number six and I, he, he didn't look half as good. I don't get it because it, it's like 10 yards further back. <laughs> I know you, you can't burst forward as much, but surely you can still be as composed as you were in the first 60 minutes. Um but yeah, what, what do you make of Dugger? I think it's a really, um, really interesting one because I think there's a really, really good player in there. And I would hate to see him go on and prove that somewhere yeah. else because we've not really maximised what he's capable of. I thought he was a, a different player with, with the shackles off a little bit, mm. to be honest. You know, technically, we know. Yeah, that's a bit of a cliche, but we, we know a, a Brazilian midfielder is gonna gonna have a little bit of flair about him. Sometimes when he's playing in a deeper role, I think might be harsh, but I think he can just switch off just just momentarily and as he got yeah. quite got that discipline to to really play that that role and you know, sacrifice himself for the team, I suppose, is 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 the job that you have to do in there. Um it's interesting because I think Nakamba was cramping up, I think. Yeah, he was always going to come off. I thought Nakamba was good, incidentally. I I don't think it was an amazing performance. I think he does what he he is good at, breaking up the play, he he is good at. But there was a few times where he had to move it on after winning the ball back and gave it away. Yeah, it's very marvellous. He's done the hard work and and run it it back and then you've given it straight back to him. That was a very Nakamba performance. That's why Nakamba's in a team that's halfway down the the Premier League rather than the the, the top six of the Premier League. You know, great at winning the ball back, but he has so much practice because he keeps giving it away. Um, (laughs) I thought, but I thought, I thought he did good in terms of the intensity and and breaking Mm. things up. He did look to me as if he was kind of cramping up. I don't know whether it was his hamstring or his calf. I can't remember, but he looked like he was, you know, struggling a little bit when he came off. I suppose the decision then is if you try and put somebody in, you know, if you try and put a defensive midfielder in there, you know, who, who, who are we talking, Tim? Chambers? Yeah, that would have been the one, I suppose. Because otherwise, what's happened is you're changing two positions. Yeah, that, that's literally the thing I was about to say. I, I noted it down before. It's it's not just a, a substitution that changes the one position. You, you're affecting Douglas Luiz's game as well by dropping him back. And that's no slot on Carney either. I thought Carney was okay in spells as well. I thought he did all right with carrying the ball as a number eight. But I think if Louis stays further forward with McGinn, who I think McGinn had a great game, but has still got the energy. I don't think Chambers is necessarily a defensive midfielder, really. I don't think he was that special against Burnley, but it keeps the system as it was. And I think that's yeah. more important than anything. I mean, the reason that, that Gerard has, has, has put Dougie back there is because he wants an experienced player he can trust, I think. I think that's why he's not put Tim. I forgot how he pronounced his surname, so I'm not going to... Uh... Boonham. That's the fella. Um, but yeah, Chambers would have would have been the obvious one for me because you could have kept Dougie doing what Dougie was doing and you, you'd mm. have had that, that layer of protection with... Effectively, it might have been a third centre-half who's just playing a little bit... Yeah. A little bit further forward, but and I'm not blaming Gerald's substitution for for this. It was Carney and um, 
and Douglas Lewis. Louise, who gave the, I think it was a, I think it was a loose pass from Chukamaka, to be honest. But I think Louise could have reacted better and could have yeah. cleared out the man and the ball to make sure that that that, that you know Villa weren't in danger there. But Liverpool, bang bang bang, it's in the. It, you know, it's in, it's in in the net in a matter of um, in a matter of moments, and that's the difference in it. Yeah, yeah, just a bit of clinical finishing. There was again, kind of going all over the place, but the chances Ings had. Me and my dad were sat there going, "If that's Salah or Yota or Mane or Diaz or whoever, they yeah. score that, and, and the game's put to bed." And I mean, I don't know what you do really because Danny Ings on paper is this clinical finisher that scores goals, but he gets in these positions and didn't take them last night. But I suppose that's football, isn't it? They don't always go in. Let's go through their goals first. Come on, Dan. The first goal, I don't think. I mean, Trent Alexander Arnold is obviously, God, it's no, you know, it's no surprise, is it? You know, he's one of the best in terms of delivery and assists. I don't think his free kick for the goal was particularly, was particularly good, to be honest. I'm still not sure what Mings was trying to do, whether he was trying to control it. Or just get mm. any contact on it. Contact on it. We obviously got stuck under his foot, and they were just sharper. Every every moment of play after Mings failed to clear the ball, you know, I think there's a couple of saves from Martinez in there. They just reacted quicker mm. every single time, and I thought it was a really really cheap goal to give away at a time when Villa could have really turned the screw a little bit, having taken the lead. Um, and then then that second goal. Obviously, we've given the ball away just inside our own half and it's broken quickly to, to Diaz. And I think, you know, I've, I've heard people dig, dig Mings out for the first goal and dig him out for the second goal. I think Mings is so aware of how good Diaz is that he's scared of getting too close because mm. he doesn't want to foul him. And by doing that, he allows the cross to come over far too easily. And then Mane, yeah. you know, who's what? It's a great header, isn't three, it? Five foot eight, nine. He's taller than that. Um, it's got the got the freedom freedom of the the six yard box. The ball goes behind him, doesn't it? And he still can adjust his head and nod it in bottom corner without having to to break his stride. Um, so I just think I think there were lapses. I think there were there were really costly defensive lapses. But I think Villa across the the ninety minutes were so were so good or so competitive that I think it's really really cruel to do, to dig them out too much over over the goals that they conceded. Mm, I was watching them back then, which I'd, I've never done before, weirdly, seeing as I've got the, the benefit of opening another tab and watching things as we're talking. I was watching both the goals back, and as much as that is a good header from, from Marnay, both goals are quite sloppy, really, in terms of our defending. Like, if yeah. Mings closes that cross down, that never happens. And the first goal is, I want to say, a calamity of errors. It, it isn't really... A, it, Mings really should just put his foot through that and get rid of it. He's probably not trying to control it there because that would be mental. I think yeah. he's tried to get something on it and, and mess it up. Um, but yeah, every Liverpool player reacts quicker in in that box for the first goal. And Martinez makes a decent save, to be fair, and it kind of bobbles through to Matip, I think, and he, he puts it in and uh, not really much you can do about that. Um, but it's timings as well, isn't it? I think if you if that is if that's if it'll hold on to being one up for a little bit longer as well, that kind of changes the way the atmosphere is. That the fact Liverpool get back kick back into it so soon as well, um, yeah, just feels a little bit like a, a missed opportunity that it's Villa making their own kind of bad luck again. Yeah, you need to be better, don't you? You know, against against any team in the Premier League. 
especially especially the Liverpool team who always find a way, or pretty much always find a, a way to win. You can't give them, you know, you can't can't have any any lapses really because they'll punish you. Uh, mm. But it was that was the that was the the tale of the game, wasn't it? You know, Ings. I think the header was probably his best chance in the first half because he rises yeah. early. Um, it's a good delivery. So was it McGinn from a short corner? Is it that one? Um, uh, McGinn did put a good cross in for somebody at some point, but I don't know if it was that one or not. That one. Um, and the goal's gaping, to be honest, and he's, he's got to bury that. Um, but these these other opportunities, you know, there's the there's the one he obviously sticks the one in the net that, that that's offside. Was that quite offside? Was that offside by a distance? By the way, I've not seen that back. <laughs> yeah, the Ings one, I've not seen it back. At the time, obviously, I'm nowhere near any being level with it, so I don't know. But you know, you just assume he's onside just because you want to have you know favour the Villa man. But uh, there was a very quick VAR check of like ten seconds, I think. Yeah. So you would I think assume the last pretty time, clear. I think I was the only one in the stadium still celebrating. Then then well, yeah. I, um, there's nothing worse than that feeling of celebrating a goal and going mental and then you see the offside flag go up oh I went big for that goal and then you feel like an idiot right yeah, away likewise um, but you know the the chance that he's had where is it, I think it's the, the other one was offside as well wasn't it where he, he tries mm. to cut back inside the defender and, and, and can't get his shot away and then there's the one where I can't remember who slid, slid him through it might have been Watkins who slid him through and he just takes a bad touch, and Allison's on him before he can yeah. get a shot away. And those those are big moments. Um, you know, there's another one, Coutinho, second half, who manages to get away from Van Dijk, but tries to go past him again, and then runs out of steam and doesn't doesn't get mm. a shot away. And it's moments like that where you know you've got to you've got to punish the opposition. It surprised me how often we did get behind them. To be honest, yeah, yeah, um, which. You know, he's a credit to some of our some of our approach approach play. Um, thought Buendia looked decent when he came on as well. And I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I naively thought at half time that we'd get a draw out of it, um, but probably knew in my heart of hearts that that we wouldn't. Hmm. I know we're not allowed to share match footage because we don't have the rights. Are we allowed to share screenshots of like stills of games or not? <laughs> I don't know. Match. Should, okay. should we not? <laughs> yeah, we 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 will air on this article or not. Uh, but Ings was pretty clearly offside for for that chance that he buried. So yeah, that's fair enough. I, I expected it given how, how quick it was for them to check it. But at first, I was thinking, ah, oh, typical. Like I only looked at it for ten seconds because it's Villa and they want to favour Liverpool. But yeah, he's clearly offside. So that's the end of that. Um, yeah, what else do we want to talk about? Um, where's my notes? Nothing really. <laughs> I think we've pretty much covered the the actual game in terms of. Uh, Everything that happened, uh, Chuck Maker coming on. I suppose anything that you spotted from him? Yeah, I suppose that you know he's, he's fallen back into favour, hasn't he? In the last, yeah. Does of, that mean that the contracts on the way? Do you think? What do we read into that? Is it is it a final last gasp attempt to keep him? I'm not sure Gerald would do that. I, I think Gerald would must have been given some. Might be wrong. Must have been given some encouragement um, mm. to to get him involved. Um, I'd like to see more of him, to be honest, because. I think he's he's on the on the cusp of showing what he can do, but you know hasn't really. I know he scored didn't he on his debut at the back end of of last season, but hasn't really really stamped his mark um, from the bench yet, as far as I can mm. see. You, you might you might beg to differ. You might say, well, actually, Matt, what about that moment and that moment? I'm still waiting to to see a little bit more of him. So I do hope we're getting signed up. I hope he realises he's onto a good thing here. You know. 
part of a team that, that that's going places, going to have exciting new new signings, but also a manager who wants to reward, you know, the brightest kids uh, in the group. So I hope it is a sign. Probably reading too much into it, and he'll, you know, end up at Dortmund or by Leverkusen or something in the next next three or four weeks or whatever. But um, that's the the optimistic part of me thinks that maybe maybe there has been a, a little bit of a kind of change there. So we'll, we'll see in that sense. Uh, Obviously, these these been been rumours circulating from from Spain that you know people saying we can potentially get in Coutinho for for less than the, the cost of Ross McCormack and, <laughs> and and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you know it, it's great, isn't it? If we can if we can we can pull pull that deal off, uh, mm. not only because we've got the little magician within our ranks, um, but also the pulling power that having him and Gerard there. Yeah. You know, can bring. I'm sure wages and club prospects will be the the casting, the deciding vote for for targets that are wanted by several clubs. But I don't think it helps having a manager and a player with 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 the, their reputations to to sweeten the deal. Yeah, I think you know the reported fee of 33 million for Casino now being what 15 million or something like that, 17 million pounds euros, whatever it is. Uh, you pretty much get in. I don't know what the maths is on this, but you feel like he's that that um, transfer fee and his wages is probably less than thirty three million. I don't know what the actual figures are, but I'm yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't want to guess. But it sounds like it sounds it's a like good a deal. Really, it sounds like a, uh, it sounds like a very good deal, and I think I'm right in saying Coutinho. I think he's twenty nine turns thirty, perhaps in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. So theoretically, he's still at a very good age because. You know, I'm not saying he's a slouch, but he's not a player who relies massively on pace. You know, mm. he relies on the quickness of thinking in his head and the magic in his boots. So, I think that's that's that represents a, a really kind of exciting start to Aston Villa's summer spending potentially. Yeah, after the Burnley game, and obviously Buendia played very well. I spoke to Ash, and we we spoke about the Coutinho thing. I think Gerard was asked, you know, do, do you need Coutinho now? And he said, yeah, I want both Buendia and Coutinho. And I clipped that out as a social highlight, and I was tweeting it, and I wrote out, you know, do Villa actually, Villa actually need Coutinho? And as I was rock typing it, I thought, what am I saying here? Like the club of Aston Villa's ambitions of trying to break into at least the top half, and then European uh, football. In what world are we in a position to say, oh, Philip Coutinho? No, we don't fancy that. He's obviously worth signing, isn't he? Especially for this this kind of cut price that we're, it's all less than we expected. Yeah, and listen, it's it's about it's about Gerald and his coach's man management for me of Buendia mm. because you know, like I said about Dougie earlier, I would hate Buendia to to leave Villa without fully flourishing and, and or seeing the the full value of, of his potential. Buendia early in the season was. A different beast from the one now, and this is not a criticism of of Dean Smith. I think Buendia, you know, when he was taken off, he was in a bit of a strop, and he, mm. you know, struggled to contain his emotions to that. I think that was more frustration with himself for not hitting that consistent level. You know, we only see glimpses, don't we, of what Villa want to show us from training footage or the bits that we see on the television or on the touchline and stuff like that. But I think it might be a massive assumption to make. He seems to be a more rounded individual now. And I think somebody's had a word and said, you know, you are really important to us, but mm. this is a squad game. You know, we want to be a big Premier League force. So we need a squad full of talented players. You're going to get your opportunity. Please believe in what we're doing. And when you're on, I mean, I, 
when the team news was announced last night, there was a lot of people, you know, what's he done? You know, Buendia, no Buendia. You know, he absolutely tore it up on on, on Saturday at, at Burnley. And I can understand it. I do think Gerard rested Coutinho. Yeah, he said as much as uh, anything. With a view to last night. Um, but that's, that's the key to me. How do you keep, and sort of harking back in the past again, and I keep liking this to the Martin O'Neill era, Martin O'Neill was able to sign lots of players and build a squad but was only able to utilise perhaps 14 of them, which in mm. 1981 would have been great. In 2009, wasn't so great. Um, I think Gerard knows he needs the squad. The challenge then is not only to get the quality of the squad, but to get players with an elite mentality who understand the project, whether they're playing every week or whether they're pieces around the edge of that. Uh, mm. Not easy. It's not, not an easy challenge for a manager. Um, but... I hope that he's able to do that. I hope he's able to sign Coutinho and keep Wendy really, really engaged in what, what he's trying to do. Do you think there's a, a case to suggest that the position they play at, at number 10, it makes it easier to switch them in and out, that Coutinho plays two or three, doesn't do much, so when Wendy comes in and plays a couple, and then Coutinho back and forth, whereas you know, if this was a second-choice centre-back we were talking about, you don't want to keep changing your back line every couple of weeks. Is it easier to, to rotate them both because they play this kind of floaty, creative position? Possibly. Possibly. Um, I think on a similar theme, I just think having having a ready-made substitute in that mm. role who can influence a game if you chasing a goal and you're chasing a bit, a bit of magic and you need some fresh legs and some fresh thinking. I think that's that's a really, really nice luxury to to have as well. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think, yeah, why wouldn't we go forward with both of them? You know, and again, harking back to Steve Bruce years or whatever, Coutinho and Buendia. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's pinch yourself territory really, isn't it? Yeah, just want to go back to the the youngsters in midfield: Timur Abunam, Jacob Ramsey, um, Chuck Maker. Uh, I had to close my eyes to think there. It's been a long day. Um, I don't know how good those three are going to be, what their ceilings are, and I don't know where Villa are trying to get to. You know, if they sign, what's the name from last summer? If they sign James Ward Prowse, for example, for forty million, that kind of puts any pathway for one of those three out of the side because you play play the big man that's trying to get you into Europe now. You haven't got time to develop two 18-year-olds at the same time. Jack Ramsey's 20, I think. But the idea of having three homegrown midfielders playing in there together, you've got two number eights and a, and a, a number six there between the three of them who could, in theory, if they are going to be you know, top-level players eventually that you do kind of blood them together and hope that they stick around and that's Villa's midfield for six, seven, eight years to, to get us into the next next level. Like that's a, that's a, as a player, I would think that's quite a nice opportunity to have. So sign a contract. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lovely prospect. And I've said this before, we had a Jack Grealish-sized gap in our hearts to fill uh, mm-hmm. in terms of somebody coming through the academy, kind of one of our own. And Ramsey's taken that and properly run with it, hasn't he, this, this year. Nobody could have predicted quite what, what he's gone on to achieve this year. Um, it's, it, the academy's there to produce players for Aston Villa's first team. That's, that's, that's its ultimate aim. Mm. Now, that's a hard enough gig when Villa are halfway down the championship to get players who are good enough to, to make a mark at that. 
it's a harder gig when Villa are just in the Premier League and trying to stay. The more Villa rise, that's a big ask. If Villa yeah. want to be a top six club, to think that you can produce top six players is a really, really, really big ask. I think we potentially have in Jacob Ramsey, and perhaps I'm getting I'm getting overhyped about him too soon, but I think he's shown that he's got the attributes to at least challenge to be involved in in that that kind of villa mission for the for the top six. We need a bigger body of evidence before we see see what, what Tim and Carney can do, really, yeah. for me. But again, we've got a manager who this season has been prepared to give them a go. Um so yeah, I agree. Sign the contract and then then see what the next two or three years brings in terms of opportunities. And then, if you can't make your mark, you will still have probably had X amount of Premier League appearances under your belt to put on your CV and you know make you quite saleable to to somebody else. Well, yeah, if they if they're not if they're not good enough to to get in there because Villa are spending thirty, forty, fifty million pound on players in their position, if we can sell on these academy prospects for. 2025 <laughs> That's, that keeps the cycle going doesn't it um, one last kind of transfer rumour I guess I wanted to touch on before before we leave is the Ollie Watkins and West Ham thing because there's been a few comments about it um, I think it came from the Guardian originally and there was, there was a quote in there about um, David Moyes being desperate to sign him or something like that and I kind of thought yeah desperate is the operative word there if you're willing to chuck 50 million at it which is the, the fave Villa would reportedly ask for according to this article uh, would you take fifty million, Farley Watkins, or, or is he someone that you want to hold on to? Oh, difficult one, isn't it? Fifty million. What does what does fifty million? I was going to say, what does fifty million buy you in the market now? Ollie Watkins, clearly. Uh, <laughs> it's, a really, it's a really difficult one. I probably would take fifty million for him, but I don't want to. I'm in, I'm in no rush to see Ollie Watkins go out the door because. Mm-hmm. I I think there's a there's a player with lots and lots of potential. I still think. He's a bit ragged around the edges, um, but I think there's a I think there's a player with, with with real potential in there, and also fifty million. I don't know. It, it, it gives you listen. It, it, it's not a bad headache, but it gives it gives you it gives you another headache because then Collie Watkins is still at a good age. It's, it's still has got the attitude to to want to work and to to improve. Um, I think it gives it will give a, give us a very good idea of the, the the speed at which Villa want to want to want to work this summer. If they do sell Ollie Watkins for for a big sum and probably reinvest it in somebody more established, but with less less time left in his career, less of a, a sell on value potentially. Um, I don't know. I, pro- I would I would sell him for fifty million, but you know, I probably wouldn't sell him for forty million. <laughs> you, know, just, you know what I mean? It's... Signing for what thirty-three with him, all the bonuses yeah. and that kind of stuff. He's scored ten goals this season, fourteen last, and he's an England international now. So forty million is the the least of his value. And then if Villa think that he's so important, they want fifty, fifty-five, sixty, and someone someone's willing to pay that, which is another matter. I think like you say it gives you another headache. So I'm not sure striker is a. a a position we need to be focusing on this summer, I don't think. Now Ings and Watkins are kind of working together. Archer's coming back, hopefully next season, to be that the kind of third choice, I guess. And if an offer comes in that's too good to turn down, that, that changes things. But I won't be actively trying to sell Watkins or Ings, to be honest. No, I think, uh, you know, 
Listen, people have spoken about Suarez in the past and and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but I mean, sell Watkins for fifty million and sign Suarez. Um, well, this, this is this is the thing, and you know, you you're placing <laughs> you're placing your eggs in one basket there for me, and I'm thinking. I think Villa, I don't know, Villa are a different beast to the one a few years ago, but we tried this at a, at a lesser level in the championship of, you know, just spending money on big names and not building anything sustainable. I think Villa have got a real responsibility to try and add those extra bits of star quality that can kick us on quickly, but also think, what do we want to be in three or four years' time? And you know, so I think I think there's a I think there's a there's a, a real balancing act there. Mm. I think Ings is slightly different because of his age. If you get an offer for him that's that's half decent, you think, well, he's thirty. You know, he's only scored seven or eight goals this season. That, that's probably worth doing. But like I just said, I think Watkins has been in and around the English squad. He's twenty six. Scored double figures for back to back seasons now. You know, there's still another three four seasons out of him to to hopefully improve and score fifteen to twenty each year. So. Yeah, it'd have to be a massive offer to sell and it gives you this headache that I don't necessarily think you need to, to solve this summer because you need a holding midfielder. You maybe need a number eight. You probably need a centre-half. Um, you need backup full-backs. So, yeah, I don't think you necessarily need to go and think, right, now who do we need to play out front? And, and I don't know who you go for either. Um, I think that's pretty much it. There's one thing I wanted to, to do with you, which was a little bit of nonsense. Um, I saw a viral tweet yesterday off the, the back of the Haaland Man City deal um, of Man City fans kind of questioning how many goals they would score in this Man City side, going, oh, Haaland is going to score 50 goals with the chances we're creating all this. So no one cares about Man City and Haaland. So let's relate this back to Villa. Let's say Ollie Watkins is sold this summer and Villa come to you and go, Matt Kendrick, we want you to play up front for us next season. You can play 38 games every single minute. We won't bring you off regardless of your form. How many goals do you reckon you've scored for Villa over the course of a season? Can I have penalties? I don't know. Give me an answer with and without. Oh, without zero. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with, depends on how many penalties. Zero. <laughs> I, made my, um, I made my footballing comeback. On Sunday night, because I've um, oh, yeah. my knees my knees are creaking a little bit, and I've been I've not been able to play. I play five aside on a Sunday night with some fellow veterans, mm-hmm. and uh, I managed to fall over thin air. Um, I, I did score I did score an absolute banger to be honest, but I managed to fall over thin air and get one of those kind of astroturf carpet burns. Oh yeah, um, and, and I won't I won't show you now, but it is it is disgusting, and because uh, I work from home. I've not had to wear trousers. This was Sunday night. I've not had to wear any trousers until last night when I went to the villa and I put some jeans on. And my wife, bless her, had to wrap my little knee up uh, <laughs> in bandage and put some plast and put some plasters on to keep it to keep it in place. Um, oh, mate! And I've got I've, between you and me, I've got such hairy knees that I, I came back. Are you and, just I don't want anybody else. It's just between you and me. Okay. Yeah. Come on, such hairy knees that I came back and tried to pull the plaster off and I was nearly in tears. I had to get some little scissors to um, to cut my hairs and my plaster off. Uh, but back back to the back to the thing. I have played at Villa Park a couple of times in my younger days and never mm-hmm. scored. I've, I've knocked the ball in the, the net in the warm-up. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think I'd get one. I'd like to get a, I think I'd like to get a, a sympathy a sympathy goal. A proper um, goal, not a penalty you mean. Yeah, yeah. I, nah, I pro- you know, I, I probably, I probably score a banger from from 
35 yards, I'd have thought. Uh, I don't know who the shortest goalie is in the, in the league. Uh, how about you? Zero. I'd be dead really? after about 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I'd have to get my fitness levels way up to, to even finish 90 minutes. But, I mean, the only thing I thought of as a way around getting this, getting an answer for this is, you know, when Tora Ming's got Esri Constance's goal just because it hit him against yeah. Watford, I might get one of them given to me. Yeah. That Coutinho blasts one in from the edge of the air and it just hits my back or something and they give it to me instead. So maybe one via that route. But my long... probably best route would be, you know, the Albert Adoma against Leeds. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, even that, unless the goalkeeper probably, moved I'd out probably of the way. i myself offside or something like that. <laughs> I'd still want back myself. If I was running through on goal and I was given the, the chance to, to shoot against a goalkeeper, there's no chance. No chance at all. So I'm going to say zero and be modest about it. But this tweet I saw yesterday with the Man City fans, like, oh, I reckon I could get 10 or 15. And it's like some professional footballers aren't even scored. Like Grealish, for example, has scored a couple of goals all season. Yeah. Like, I oh, don't know where these people come from, but. Uh, same question to the comments if anyone wants to uh, give an answer as well see how many arrogant people think they could get 10 goals with Villa I mean Danny Ings has only got 7 so uh, let's all calm down a little bit um, do you want to plug that 1982 newspaper special thing before we go yeah weren't you going to stick that little video on the end or not or... yeah I can do it now if you want yeah do that then just briefly yeah. we've got um, we've produced because we, we, we love living in the past we've produced a 40th year anniversary special of Villa winning the European Cup in 1982 it's well, just play the thing because I'm going to say the same detail anyway. Exactly, yeah, I was going to say, just let me play it. 40 years Boy. ago, blimey, to mark the milestone anniversary of Aston Villa's glorious European Cup triumph, we've produced a brilliant souvenir supplement featuring exclusive interviews with the legends of 1982, fan accounts, photographs, and the original match reports. It's a must have memento for Villa fans. The 64 page supplement is available in newsagents in and around the Birmingham area, where you can order it for delivery via our online shop. It costs £2.50, and there's also a postage fee if you order online. Up the villa! So there it is. Uh, I'll put the link to the online shop in the comments on the Facebook Live and uh, the YouTube. Um, it's good, isn't it? They've, they've put it together really nice. There's some guy called Matt Kendrick who's written a few pieces as well, which are half decent, I would say, yeah, out of 10. Dusted off the quill. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed doing it. Just going to say, before we go, I wanted to um, apologise to my son's school teachers today because... We didn't get back till after midnight because I've got to drop off one of his mates in Tividale and my nephews in in Longbridge and, and, and that kind of thing. And we went on a late night search for a Mackie D's. Oh. We went, we tried. We tried the one at Amber Tavern. You know where that is? On the Wolverhampton mm-hmm. Road. We tried the one at Birchley Island um, by Junction 2 of the M5. Are they closed then, you mean? Yeah, they, well, they were all closing just to get in there. It was like right. agonising. Then we tried the one at um, Hales Owen, mm-hmm. closed, and we just got in. Do you know the one at Cradley, Collie Gate, towards, um, on the way to Starbridge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. just By got that way, just as the lights were going off, and it was like wow. a really heroic, you know, if you'd have been there, Dan, I'd have liked to film the kind of heroic montage. <laughs> um, but yes, we didn't get back till late, so my, my son has turned up to school today um, with his belly full, but probably not that attentive really so sorry what did you have just a standard um big mac i had big mac large fries um at midnight yeah and i didn't even have diet coke i had coke and i come back and i was that knackered that i put a little bit of um bit of rum in my coke in my mackie d's coke as well so bloody hell there you have it (laughs) and then i'm getting weighed again on friday for slimming world so 
I'll feel very inadequate with my two Weetabix. What we will do to end this uh, podcast, like we always do, is the um, plug in the 1982 trailer. You're going to hear from us a lot about this in the in the next few weeks. Obviously, we filmed it uh, end of March, I think it was, posted it a few weeks ago. The anniversary for that will be in the next two weeks. I think it might be two weeks today, in fact, of us winning the European two weeks Cup. tomorrow, mate. Two weeks tomorrow. Oh, there we go. Um, so I'm going to end the, this podcast with a trailer for that, so you can go on to the channel and um, watch the full episode. It's an hour-long chat with Alan Evans, Tony Morley, Dennis Mortimer, and Sid Cowens. I almost said Tony Mortimer then. I mean, it's embarrassing, isn't it? Uh, so, Matt, thanks for your time. Thanks for the comments for tuning as always. Here's the trailer, and we'll catch you again uh, on Saturday. They had the trophy on the pitch, and they were throwing it around to each other. I just felt that day... Angry. I just, no, I just felt, <laughs> we're going to take this off you next season. The work rate from that team was... Unbelievable. Is that including me, Insurey? Yes, that's including everyone. <laughs> that's my get up for you, Insurey. But he was, I think he was a type of manager who'd, who'd quite happily win every game 1 0, didn't he? Yes. You, it's like you, don't, you didn't want to win 4 3 or no, 5 4. No. It wasn't like that, you give nothing away. Tony didn't come in and uh, give any ultimatums or anything like that. He was, you know, to, we, knew, we all knew Tony anyway, uh, but Tony didn't need to say anything to us. He just needed to sort of be our. In charge of us, I felt we were in charge of ourselves. But our destiny was in our hands. It wasn't. It wasn't in a new manager coming in and taking over. You know. And I walked over to him, sat down next to him, and he turned around and he went, "You were lucky." <laughs> did you mean to hit the post with the shot? You know, from the yard out. And did you still it... warn him up about that and coming up? No, we don't. We don't wind him up. No, we, he scored the goal. Listen, none of us care. God, I wish I had scored it. The best thing about it was, as, we, as you were speaking earlier, is that team is the best team the club have ever had and never will have. I mean, I just think to myself, you know, being captain, there's no way I could have gone up with a Bayern shirt on. I just knew I couldn't do that. And if you can go through a whole season and trust in each other, in fact, two seasons really, and trust in each other wholeheartedly, that is fantastic. We never had that again after, after the European Cup final. The team of 80, 81, 82, yeah, are true legends in Aston Villa folklore. And, and for me, like, that just makes us, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're history. And I love that.